What's up, everyone? Welcome to the fourth uh, episode of the LittleTronicGameDevs.com interview show. I guess I should come up with an official name, but I haven't yet. Um, joining me today is uh, our first non-Toronto um, person, people actually. Actually, two, two uh, milestones today. The first non-Toronto and the first kind of group uh, interview. Um, they're One More Story Games. They are up in Barrie, and it's uh, Gene and Blair Leggett. Hi, thanks for having us. No problem. And uh, so we're, we're kind of, we were just kind of talking before we went, quote unquote, live. Uh, we're like in the midst of uh, Ontario storm, ice storm 2018. So um, hopefully the power doesn't go out while we're we're doing the podcast or the interview rather. But uh, you guys, you guys assured me before the show that you're stocked up with like some about three or four days worth of canned goods and stuff. So. That is right. We have enough peanut butter, cheese and crackers to last this thing. I just don't want to lose electricity right now because we are in production for a game and every day counts. <laughs> and we'll certainly get to get to talking about that game. First, uh, let's let's kind of just get to know you guys a little bit more. Um, maybe just kind of like, well, first, why don't you just kind of both introduce uh, yourselves, like what your role is at One More Story Games, uh, and then maybe just like a fun factoid. Uh, Gene, if you want to go first. Sure. So, uh, Jean Leggett, and I am one of the founders of One More Story Games. We're a husband and wife team. So, this June, we'll actually have been together for 22 years. And about five years ago, Blair had a near-death experience while we were at Zynga Dallas. And he's like, hey, you know what? I'd love to be able to create my own studio. So, he started it, and I jumped on. And it became very clear that my my background in administration and, believe it or not, stand-up comedy is has served me very well in the role of CEO. So on a day-to-day basis, I wear probably 14 to 20 hats of doing anything from QA to game writing to investor relations, sales and marketing, social media, uh, all of the things. And because I have trust issues. Um, and so, uh, one of the things that I'm particularly proud of over the last five years is that we've raised half a million dollars Canadian for our platform, which is story stylus. Uh, that really is the heart of one more story games. And that is a simplified narrative game creation tool that we have built. So over to Blair. Hi. So I was, uh, I've been in the industry now for about 17 years. Uh, I've worked at Electronic Arts, uh, EA Canada, so out of Vancouver, and I've also worked at Zynga down in the States. So in the time that I have uh, worked through for these companies, I mean, I worked in game programming, um, a lot of toolsmithing stuff, gameplay engineering, stuff like that. But uh, I also have a... Well, I have a degree in computing science. I also have a degree in English literature and philosophy, and I'm very much into s- interactive storytelling and the challenges that presents itself. And for me, this whole process was about breaking down the elements of narrative storytelling and trying to build an engine that would best facilitate that for average people, for just like writers and storytellers and graphic novelists to be able to create their own interactive content. And then, so out of that was story stylist was born essentially like a WYSIWYG editor for 
creating your own story games. Awesome. So I actually I didn't know that. I, I so Blair, you started the the project after this experience, and then Gene, you started. Did you start like right as soon as the get go, or did you kind of come on before? Or sorry, a little, I, little after. Um, or? I, I would say definitely Blair got it going. Um, so uh, we started. Blair started doing the prototyping for Story Stylist back in I want to say like uh, spring summer of 2013. He incorporated the company in 2000, the end of 2013, and then uh, we got a shared office space where I was doing coaching and speaking and stand-up comedy, mm-hmm. and you know I was helping him do like grant applications and stuff like that, and and it was probably I think about four months in. So technically, this is now my the anniversary. This is around the time when I joined full time, the anniversary of my having been with OMSG, and for the longest time I, you know, we had. I want to say a staff, we had about 12 to 18 interns at any one time from Georgian college. And so between the two of us, we were overseeing that and I was doing mostly operations, but given that we are, we are targeting female game consumers because our focus is on creating compelling story-based games. And it, it makes sense to us to put me who is already out there talking to people we call Blair the hacker and I'm the hustler. So it made more sense for me to be in the role of CEO. Um, as small as our company is, we do have a team that we are managing on a project by project basis. And so, yeah, that's that's the role. And I think we do it fairly well. I mean, Blair's the, the tech guy. I'm the talk gal. And, and it's great that we have those two skill sets that complement one another. Perfect. Yeah. And, and, uh, I, I've I've spoken to many indie developers and they and they all say that kind of like what you're saying like you wear many hats when you're kind of in independent development where you don't have one person who's just like who just does marketing and one person who just does planning or whatever it's usually you know this a studio of two to five or two to six or whatever amount of people but then like someone will there's usually like it's usually broken down into two tr- uh, like a couple trees where it's like tech. Uh, and then maybe like arts and stuff like that. And then like sort of the business operations of it. Yeah. And so the marketer yeah. might be also the sort of project manager of it. Um, but they also might just be kind of like the, the like official stuff, like grant stuff and, and things like that. So, um, you know, and it's, and it's interesting because I've, I've had conversations with other people where um, I think that as you start to grow as an indie company, what are we on? Currently, we're at five people on this particular project, and we are looking to scale up by the end of the year. Like This is the project that we've been working towards, building our technology for the last four years because we knew this project was coming. So this has been a slow mm-hmm. putting down all of the the stonework and to be able to step back and see that we have built this huge thing. Um I, I'm looking forward to scaling up and and having people that are in designated roles. We we had some issues last year where we hired people for specific tasks and it just wasn't a fit. So we had to move on and um, and recover from the the poor lapse in judgment in our hiring people. <laughs> well, yeah, everything is a learning experience, is what I like always say, right? So, um, Heck yeah, you don't really. 
unless it's obviously your second company that you started, but like, you don't really like, like there isn't a, a class or anything like that on learning how to like run a business. Cause that's like, I run into similar things when it's for torontogamedose.com. Like it's, it's a side business, but it is still something that I try to plan out and, and contribute in and, and whatnot. And so there's a lot of things that I do where a month later, I'm just like, uh, I don't know if I really should have done that. <laughs> um, so I'm sure it's like similar on, on, on your end where you, maybe look at some of the people you brought on or maybe some of the steps that you made uh, and they weren't the right ones, but there's plenty of right ones amongst all that there, stuff. There are, I mean, like for example, yesterday we had a team meeting. Uh, so we have two artists, we have one narrative writer and then there's Blair and myself who fill in many, many different roles. So I've actually started to step in. I'm doing some of the game writing as well because Blair's handling more of the tech stuff and it wasn't, it wasn't supposed to be that way. I wasn't supposed to be writing on this this new pro uh, this new project, um, but I'm actually really enjoying that piece. the The business development side is, I think that's where we're going to start to see the the separation where the cream rises to the top, because I I can re recall an instance maybe four years ago when we were in very very early days. We were at uh, Anime North. And there was a guy next to us with a booth. I won't mention his name and I won't mention what he, what his game was, mm -hmm. but I was sitting there and it was, you know, you're stuck next to a guy for three days in his booth. So I was like asking him questions about whether he had been doing his business development planning. Did he have a business plan? Like what was his long-term goal for this? He's like, I just want it to go viral. And, and that's fantastic. We all want our games to go mm -hmm. viral, but what are you doing to plan for the longevity of your company? Mm. And, and that's what I see. There are so many, there are so many people, I was going to say guys, there are so many people who have grown up playing games. Uh, some of them are unhealthily addicted to playing games. That is their only source of entertainment. And right. maybe <laughs> uh, Blair says, um, <laughs> I, I, I do have my own addictive tendencies to some games. And, but they're thinking about these one hit wonders. They're not thinking about building businesses. They're thinking about building a game. Mm. And, and I like to think that that's what sets us apart from most devs out there. First of all, half a million dollar raise that puts us in a very, very, like that's a different rarefied air. Rarefied air. Thank you, Blair. Literally the words out of my mouth. <laughs> and, you know, we're now on our eighth game in four years in the same time that we built a game engine. Mm -hmm. That is us moving forward and having a plan and, and taking a formulated strategic approach to this company. And I think that's why people keep investing in us. Last week we got a new investor on board hey. and it, they invest in us because they see the long-term vision. Yeah. This is, not, Hey, give us money for one project. This is, we are building something that is going to grow beyond our where we are right now. Yeah, and uh, it's funny you say that because I, I uh, a couple weeks ago I interviewed uh, a Twitch streamer, Steel Rain twenty seven or twenty nine twenty seven, uh, one of those numbers um, from Toronto, and I asked him, you know, if so, someone who wants to get into streaming, what like advice do you give? And he said, you know, if you're if you're just doing it to get in for the money, like that's that's not the right attitude to have like go in there and just want to have fun and do it for yourself and then things like fans and all that stuff will just kind of happen and he says like he can just go in 
to um into a stream and you know a small stream and see that the person who's streaming is really just in it for like the money like they they just see some of the big you know what whatever doctor disrespect or whatever his name is <clears throat> earns in a day or whatever and says like oh i can do that and he can you can tell that so i think it's similar yeah. with those like studios who are just kind of trying to make a game Maybe maybe it's like a copycat or something like that. I don't know, but you can yeah. kind of tell the people who are just trying to make a game just to kind of get uh, a quick buck. And you know, there's not any, anything necessarily wrong with that, but I feel like that's not like the path towards success. Like the 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 probability of you succeeding if you if you try to do something like that is super super slim. Whereas if you kind of have uh, realistic expectations and, and plan things out, it's it's a much more like higher probability probability and i think it comes down to this whole issue of you know i was in a pitch competition last year and the guy who i was a finalist so out of 26 people who were pitching i ended up being on the top four that was great um i stayed in spot number four we won't talk about that but the guy who was in position number three ahead of me what he does is literally he takes other people's games, reskins them, and then puts them in his own marketplace. Mm. Listen, I get with advertising. So he's banking on other people's creativity. It's their mechanics. Yes, he bought those mechanics pure and outright. But when you're talking mm. about, you have to make a decision. And, and I don't think that art and money are mutually exclusive. So make a decision. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Are you, are you in game making to make money? If you are, then you know what? You can go and clone pretty much any successful app right now, whether it's a card making app, whether it's a match three, like go and do that. You'll likely make some great money, right? If that's why you're in games and you want to make money, go copy what other people are doing. If you want to make games that have an impact and a lasting legacy, you have to do something different. And and that's what we're seeing. Like the games that are winning for Game of the Year, the one that won Game of the Year for the BAFTA just this week was What Remains of Edith Finch. And best narrative was Night in the Woods. So these are the games that are impacting us. Mm. So make a decision. As a game dev, do you want to make games that make a lot of money? You want to make games that have a lot of art, um, like have an artistic quality to them. And if you're lucky, if you've hit the right chords with people in your artistic endeavors, I think that's where the money will come. It's it's doing something out of a pure love and passion for storytelling. Yeah, I think the the ironic part is that I think games that really come out and are unique, uh, and the people who are doing those things, like what remains of Edith Finch and and whatnot, are super successful. So it's not like, you know, they say like for the movies, like with Oscars, like if you, if you get nominated for an Oscar, it's not necessarily like means that your movie is going to be a huge success. Like they they talk about like Shawshank Redemption, how it didn't really do that well in theaters. And then it wasn't until like many years later, it got this cult following. That's not really true with games. I feel like if a game really comes out and just like kind of blows up on Reddit or, or on Twitter or what have you, um, success is going to like audience. Yeah. yeah, it has to find its audience for sure. And, you know, I I saw earlier this month the postmortem for the where the water tastes like wine. And I read through the postmortem and my heart was breaking for this guy. I mean, here's a guy who spent four years making this game, 140,000 US of his own money, 23 narrative writers, and not seeing the kind of sales 
that reflected the excited early interest and some of the awards that they had been shortlisted for and whatnot. And that to me as a dev was heartbreaking because that's the amount of time we've put into our company. Mm. Um, we've foregone our, our nice salaries that we had before and we've lived very modestly, modestly <laughs> for the last four years. And, but I'm glad that he did the postmortem and was honest with people about the sales because I'm pretty sure he's seen a sales uptick and it's from people who just didn't realize that this was even out. He admitted to all of the, the business dev things where he had kind of failed. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, he didn't really have a great marketing strategy and all of the biz dev stuff that really would have helped him were the areas in which he was the weakest. And that's what he talks about in his postmortem. Perfect. Um, sorry. And, and that's solid conversation so far, but I do want to kind of get into some of the games you've created, some of the community work you guys, uh, have both done. Um, so it was around four or five years ago that you both started kind of one more story games. Uh, you kind of sounded like from the get go, you guys knew, you know, what roles you both kind of fill. Um, what was the what was like kind of the first game that you <laughs> planned released and then what why was it like kind of that game why why uh, why did you go like that route? Oh my god, our two first games. Well, our very very first game was us wanting to make sure that the game engine worked. Mm -hmm. So um, there's a, a writer here in Barrie. His name is Sutherland Booth, and Sutherland has actually written three games for us now one of which won Game of the Year, uh, number two spot from Toronto Game Devs last year. Which one was it? You can, uh, you can promote it. <laughs> uh, he, <laughs> he wrote Hard Vacuum Lullaby. There you go. <laughs> and, but his very first game that he wrote with us was called Mulcaster Murder. And, and I'm not, am I embarrassed by it? Mm, if I hadn't had my CEO hat on at the time, if I if I knew now what I knew then, or what is it? If I knew then what I know now, I I don't think I would have allowed the story to have. I would have stepped in a lot sooner. So Mulcaster Murder had a Google top-down map. It had stock photography. That's what we were using at the time. And it was like a 10, 20 minute game where a homeless man kills a homeless man. You have to figure out who did it. Right. right? And in hindsight, which is a really incredible thing, that is not the kind of story game that should be out there. Not unless you want to get into a deeper conversation about mental health and homelessness and the failures of the social system to protect homeless people. Mm. So, do you know, like, I'm, it's... It's not a kind of cozy mystery. No. <laughs> and, but I remember, you know, putting that out there our second game was, was around the same time because it was in development at the same time was an adaptation of, so a um, police officer here in Barrie wrote a prequel to his novel. Uh, and it's about Jamaican drug lords in Toronto because he is a, you know, that was his experience. And so we did that. It's a very linear game. It's not branching at all. And it's, I think it's still on our website and um, it's called APOC get in the ring. He's actually written, the sequel to his first novel. So this is the prequel to both of those books. And the problem was neither Blair or I were involved in the development of the story. 
and we had left it with a staff member who didn't understand narrative storytelling. And so literally our first two games were us not paying attention to the game writers we had on staff and just, yeah, cause we had so much other stuff going on. And, um, and so before, before a week had even passed, we had to pull down that second game because we had so many complaints about it. It was, it's very humbling to think that that was the very second game that we put up there. And it was such a, a bleep show. The APOC uh, one you mean? <laughs> What's that? The, uh, APOC in the ring is the one you had to take down. Cause it's still yeah, up there. It is still we up had there. Down. We had to completely rewrite it. So Sutherland, uh, so- I guess technically Sutherland also helped rewrite that one. I was very involved at that point. We restructured the whole thing. And, and now it started to make more sense as a linear um, interactive story. And it's really cool. I mean, what I love about APOC is all of the photos of characters in the game were his friends. He even made up police reports um, to put in the game. Like he really, as an author, he got really excited about creating his own game and he ended up investing in our company. And I have permission to say that he's like, this is the future of, of interactive storytelling. So I mean, you look at those games, and then after that, we had Sky Carver, which is still being played. It's still on our website. Um, And then Hard Vacuum Lullaby came along. Mandatory Upgrade, which is by a now Toronto uh, area game dev, Chris Tihor. Um, I understand he's working on a new Unity version of that, um, which is great. I think that's, um, you know, more ways for people to experience the story. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. He's got an RPG that sort of dovetails into the mandatory upgrade world. That one game of the year, number one spot from Toronto Game Dads last year. And um, it's uh, it's like a Blade Runner set in a futuristic Hamilton. Yeah, that was the yeah that was the first one. So that was the first game of yours that I played. Um, And I played Hard Vacuum Lullaby and Daniel's uh, Inferno. So I didn't play your regular uh, your earlier releases. Uh, I didn't even know about APOC. I was just reading it. I might actually kind of. dive into that one after uh, sometime today it's not a bad game it's just it we did it three years ago so there's so much more i would change right it's um the engine was probably a third of its power now yeah oh yeah oh yeah i mean if if i could wave my magic wand like i love the simple art style of hard vacuum lullaby because it's it is it's a half hour eight different ending choose your own adventure space adventure Mm -hmm. right and i love how simple the art is. I think there's maybe 20 art assets in that game. It is a very well-played game. Like a lot of people play that on our website. It's very popular when we go and do library shows. Like I watch, I watch kids as young as 10 sit down and play through that. It's like a novel that you get to interact with. How cool is that? And, but wouldn't it be even cooler if we went back and revisited it and put in some even more skookum art, because right now it's the art is, it's nice. Um, but the artists that we've been working with, (laughs) the artists that we're working with these days is an incredible talent. Like I, I still can't believe that we met Anthony here in Barry. And and so, and so let's talk about the, um, the team that's kind of, you said that there is, it's a team of five for your upcoming game, Shakespeare's Landlord, right? She, it's, I guess technically it's a team of six because we also have a composer, um, uh, Hazel. On there now and that's write. true. That's true. We we have some we have some uh, some riffraff who are helping out. Um, <laughs> so so we've got Blair who's doing a lot of the the coding behind the scenes for 
for um so we're working on shakespeare's landlord hmm. which is a book to game adaptation by charlene harris so for those of you not familiar with charlene she's a number one new york times bestseller she's sold over 36 million novels She's had um, multiple television series. Most people know her from HBO's True Blood. Yeah. NBC's Midnight Texas is in its second season. She's also, her books inspired that. And I believe tonight, um, there's a Hallmark Channel movie based on one of her series as well. So we're very privileged to have scored her in our first year. We, we started that conversation in our first year. And... Um, and then we started production on that last year. So it took quite a while for us to get the contract signed and get ready to be into production. And the Shakespeare series, it's a bit of a dark series. It's not the kind of content you see in games. It is about a rape survivor dealing with PTSD as she solves crimes in her sleepy small town. Mm-hmm. And like, who writes stuff like this? Well, Charlene is a rape survivor and she wanted to create a female sleuth that didn't need to be saved by other people. That is a complete and whole person unto herself. She saves herself. herself. So we're, we're adapting the first novel. We've got Blair, myself, Sarah Jeffers, who's based out of California. I think she's in the San Diego area and Anthony Caruana, who is currently in Midland uh, we have Harrison, who's from Southern Ontario, and uh, Hazel. Hazel is our amazing composer. She's just she's near Edinburgh, Scotland, and so all of us are are working on attacking the narrative from different perspectives. And and if you don't mind, I'd love to share what happened yesterday in our team chat. Yeah, sure. So we have early video footage of like early gameplay video from back in October. So we've continued to work on the game and, you know, I was kind of looking at the flashbacks that are meant to be representative of Lily's PTSD. And we were using some interesting stark images, but they were red and black, very Mm -hmm. sort of almost gory and jarring. And in a conversation with Anthony last week, Blair and I were saying, or I was saying, you know what? I really hate it. I really hate it. Um, it's, not it's not working for me. I'd rather, like for an environmental piece, it's it's three days of Anthony's time, mm-hmm. right? And so it's like, okay, so that is an investment on our part. And Anthony, here's what I think I want. And what he came back with blew my mind yesterday. And I'm so glad because now we've gone from this stark image, which is you know, PTSD, it's like this big neon sign and what he's brought back to us. And I don't know if he'll let us show anytime soon um, or if you'll have to wait till the game demo comes out next month. Um, He's just taken the art to this whole new level where there's a story happening in the art and the narrative has just been elevated. And as a, as the writer or as of one of the writers, I was, my breath was just taken away. And I think that that's going to have the same impact on the game players as well. Cool. Perfect. Um, I know we, I know we skipped some of your, 
sort of summary releases in there. I was just on the page that showed them all. Because um, there was, after mandatory upgrade uh, X Mark Spot, there was Attack of the Killer Zombie Cats USA Edition. If I recall, I, I know you, you do a lot of community work with, um, with uh, oh, I'm going to be blanking on it. It's like it's like a summer camp for girls, right? For like tech, like girls in tech, I believe. Am I right? Uh, we actually, it's boys and girls. Okay. So for a couple of summers, we did camps with kids. We didn't do one last summer because we were in production, and we probably won't do one this summer because we'll be in production. And um, but so yeah, we did week long intensive camps at our studio, and then the second year somebody gave us space for for two months. And what we do is in, in a five-day intensive, we take kids through the basics of storytelling, people, places, things, conversation, and we get them to play the games that are existing in our, on our, in our marketplace, and, and then they get to play the other kids' games. And so in year two, the kids had the benefit of seeing all of the games made in year one, and they're like, I can do better than that. And Story Stylist continues to improve year after year. Hmm. And so Attack of the Killer Zombie Cats was made in the second year's camp during the summer of the U.S. election. So 11-year-old Kira wrote, drew some of the art, and coded Zombie Cats, which is a 10-minute point-and-click game where you play as Barack or Michelle Obama to defeat Trumpy Cat. (laughs) And, I mean... I like to promote that particular game, not because it's the best game in the world. I mean, it's incredible for what it is. And our, our biggest driving mission is to show authors what can be done with an engine and a story. And, and if an 11-year-old girl can do this in the space of 18 hours, write, draw, and code, mm-hmm. then this is something that people can consider for their for their own content, so we're very proud of Trumpy Cat. It's uh, it's been played by thousands of people, which is super exciting. Um, and at the same time, we were also working on Danielle's Inferno, which I am incredibly proud of. A Danielle's Inferno. Uh, have you have you played that one? I so uh, putting me on the spot. I actually haven't played that one, uh, which I feel bad about because it, it tied for number one PC game of the year last year. Uh, I know. At Toronto Games. So I, yeah. So I, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. So I, I, yeah. I played. I played some of your previous ones. I actually haven't had a chance to play Daniel's Inferno just yet. But um, but but feel to kind of tell the audience about it. That's um, one of the reasons why. Okay, so Danielle's Inferno is a novelette that I read, written by a friend of mine. We we have many talented writer friends. I mean, that's. I, I read more than I play games, or at least that's what I try. Mm-hmm. And so I was reading this novelette, and it's about this woman who her <laughs> she may or may not be dead. She works at Schrodinger Capital, so there's a joke right off the bat. She may or may not be dead, and then she is approached by a bitchy Siamese cat, and the cat becomes her guide through the nine circles of hell. And as you go through each of the nine circles of hell, lust and gluttony and envy and wrath and anger and et cetera, you are only affected by the level of hell for which your immortal soul may become trapped in. And it isn't until we get to that last level, which is betrayal, that Danielle starts to feel the effects of the level. Now, I don't want to give it away because 
the most incredible experience for me was the beginning of this year. There's a, a, a GTA based streamer named Pumpkinberry. Now, if people listening to the podcast are looking for a great streamer for narrative games, especially Pumpkinberry, she is phenomenal. Um, she's a great, I would say she's a great actress and streamer. Do you know what I mean? Like she really mm-hmm. gets into it. So we had met her at, we had a little party for Charlene Harris when she was in town in October and I had invited Pumpkinberry and she's like, oh my God, this is so cool. And she's like, I'll play your game. And I've become a cynic in the last four years. I'm like, sure, sure. Um, so she finally streams our game and I go to watch it and she broke down sobbing at the end in betrayal mm-hmm. as the ending, you've become so emotionally involved with these characters and the ending really isn't something that you're expecting. And as a dev, watching her Twitch stream, watching the comments on the Twitch stream, where the people are saying this is the best narrative game she's ever streamed, that they're crying because there are emotional points that we're hitting that resonate in them too. Uh, she took our two and a half hour game and streamed it for five hours. It was it was unreal. The other thing to note about the game is that it's it's it sucks you in, right? Mm-hmm. It's very it's funny as well. It's it's, it's a dark out, comedy. <laughs> it's laugh out loud. It's it's literally Monty Python meets the Divine Comedy. But there's these little moments as you're playing through the game that wait oh that was a little more serious oh wow and that it's that progression it's that steady progression and giving you clues to what might be happening at the end. Yeah, it's, I'm very proud of it. Like each game, I'm more and more successfully proud of, of what we're doing. And, and when somebody gets it, like on the stream, they were saying, Oh, that's why she doesn't like, Oh, and they set that up like hours ago. Yeah. That's a good story. That's what a good story should do. That's what a good story game should do. So you know, and and with with Shakespeare's landlord, looking at that art again yesterday, I'm coming back to the art. It's we've got this great narrative. We're having people edit it, having the voiceover people look at it, and so really great narrative. And then this this art component. This is the largest art budget that we've ever had, and like this game is well over a hundred thousand by the time we go to do it. That's 10 times larger than our previous budgets, mm-hmm. right? We've gone from indie indie to, I don't know, we're, we're on our way to being a different kind of indie company. Indie. <laughs> yes, maybe. <laughs> so there's big stakes. There's, there's a lot at risk because this is all our own money. This is not a publisher's money. Um, it's exciting, petrifying, and thrilling all at the same time. Cool. Um, and so you, you mentioned earlier that there's going to be a, a, a playable demo of Shakespeare's Landlord next month? or Yes, I am literally just finalizing all of the VO text. So the lady who wrote, who read the Audible series, or sorry, the lady who read the novels for Audible, so for people who like audiobooks, if they heard the Lily Bard series or the Shakespeare series, that is the voice actress that we got to do the game. So she's going to be Lily in the game, which is cool. And I'm just getting that all edited and finalized for her to do it. Charlene's going to be the first uh, external person to play it. I have a few playtesters this weekend who are going to 
give it a whirl. Mm. Um, but yeah, I was hoping for end of this month. It's probably going to be the first week of May. And hopefully we don't, uh, hopefully we don't get any power outages. There will be no power outages. The production <laughs> schedule will not be affected. <laughs> uh, and then the, the full game I'm reading here is coming, uh, summer 2018. So, um, I guess sometime in July or, or, or August or, or whatnot. Correct. It, the game will launch when the game's ready. Right. And, um, you know, I, I personally would love to see it launched in August. Um, I would love to see revenue coming in. That's, that is also, you know, one of the things, so I, I recently got a scholarship to GDC mm. and, and so for a full week, I was hanging out with a lot of game devs. And what I realized was most indie studios are not surviving from the sales of their games. They're surviving from work for hire. And, and that's great. So they're doing work for other indie studios that actually have money. And, but for us, we have spent four years building a technology that we didn't have sales for, right? So the subscriptions are starting to pick up for story stylists sales are starting to pick up for our games but when you live without revenue it's it's a very challenging place to be in and we have banked everything on Charlene's game being a success she's had some great success with previous games and um and so we hope we get to benefit from that as a result of all of the hard work that we've put into the game and the engine Perfect, and and you know I'll do everything I can. So you can always uh, you can always just go to onemorestorygames.com on on the internet. Uh, you guys are also one more story games on Twitter. I think it's a one a natural one though, right? Or is it? Yes, because Twitter didn't have enough uh, characters for us. <laughs> so literally, the number one and more story games on Twitter, um, and then torontogamedes.com will have everything there. So thank you for doing this. Um, Maybe maybe just to cap it off, Ajis or uh, no, yeah, to cap it off, let, maybe let's just talk a little bit about um, games in general. Uh, you can obviously still talk about your games, but what uh, what do you guys like? What do you are you playing? Sometimes I, I get laughs whenever I ask this to people who are kind of going into production. Um, but <laughs> what what games are you playing now? Is it is it solely just Shakespeare's Landlord that you're just kind of living and dying right now, or are you getting some phone or mobile games in there here and there? Uh, well, I'll let Blair go first. What are you working on? What are you playing? I just recently uninstalled dead by daylight. I, I made him uninstall it because he was becoming very aggressive. <laughs> I, uh, I want to like the game. I like horror movies and stories and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But, um, and I know because they're a Montreal-based company that, uh, you know, really want to like them, but I've just been getting blasted too much by very experienced game players that are kicking <laughs> my butt, and I then I get shouty, and that's no good. No, um, I don't think I've I don't think I've played that one. Is it like a is it like an online? Yeah, it's an asymmetrical uh, hide and seek horror game. I guess would be the best way to describe it. Oh, uh, kind of like the Jason. Um... They yeah, do, Friday the 13th. Yeah, yeah, they did Friday the 13th game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got a lot of other horror licenses in there. So they've got the Saw series, Nightmare on Elm Street, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And wow. So, so there's some really cool stuff going on in there. But the game is so unbalanced right now. And that's it's very hard to do those asymmetrical, uh, you know, one person the killer, four people survivors kind mm -hmm. of game. 
I, I completely understand that, but I, I can't be shouty like that. So and I'm really looking forward <laughs> to uh, Frostpunk, which is coming out very, very soon. I think next week. I'm a big fan of their previous game, um, This War of Mine. So it's a sort of a city-building survival game set in apocalyptic winter nightmare kind of thing. I mean, I would, I would hazard a guess that gripping. Blair probably spends at least three hours a day on average playing other people's games. Yeah. Um, and sometimes longer. Like, that is that is our form of entertainment. Uh, I have been playing some mobile games recently, some new ones, some that I'm embarrassed to play. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also, I thought to myself, okay, so my target audience is a female over 30. What are they playing? Or currently, what's being marketed to them? So I've played some of the more popular uh, puzzle games. And um, more importantly, I'm interested in their mechanics. Like, how are they onboarding people? Mm. Uh, so I, I did install and just uninstalled. So within three days, I uninstalled this game, Homescapes, which I believe is like part of the Gardenscapes. And it's it's a mix between The Sims and a Match 3 which is an interesting concept, but doesn't interest me. Um, and then I started playing Adventure Capitalist, which is a, I believe it's actually a British Columbia uh, company that has done that. But That's a collector after, game, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And so like after a week, I realized I was too addicted to the game. Like I'm not, I think I actually have physical pain from holding my <laughs> mobile phone and playing. So I'm going to stop. I'm going to uninstall my games, uh, especially the ones that had the addicted tendencies to them. Yeah. And then I started playing this other game. Let me see if I can. Uh, Rusty Lake Paradise. So I thought I would check out Rusty Lake Paradise because somebody had suggested it to me. And I love the aesthetic of it. I think it's really interesting. Um, my yeah. biggest. I like is, that art. What's that? I like the art. Yeah, the art. The yeah. art's really cool. My biggest frustration is there's no tutorial, there's no hints, there's no notes. And if you want to play through, um, you then get shunted off to their YouTube page, which my job as a, when I'm going through using my QA hat or my user experience hat in Shakespeare's Landlord, I'm always thinking, okay, a player is stuck. How do they get unstuck? Yeah. And, and I wish that more people thought about the player's experience versus I'm making a game just for myself. I haven't, uh, oh, if you hear barking in the background, that's my dog freaking out at something. <laughs> um, back to adventure capitalist. I, I, I know what you're talking about in terms of the addictive gameplay because, uh, not, I, I haven't played that one, but I'll, although I'm very, I'm always tempted whenever I see an ad for it, but, uh, I, I used to play tap Titans, um, I forget the the name of the studio, but they're a local, they're a Toronto studio. Uh, and I played Tap Titans 1 and 2. And I remember even being in Japan and seeing an, a giant ad for it, which blew me away. Uh, and that one, it got like, it got bad where, where like my wife would just look at me and clearly playing that game because I just had my thumbs going like back and forth, like tapping on the screen. And yeah. she'd just be, she'd just be like, Tap Titans? I'm like, yeah. Like, uh, it's, it, it got really, it got like pretty bad. And then what happened one time, it's always funny how people leave games sometimes. What happened is, uh, is the game had a bug where you couldn't, um, 
you couldn't like restart. You know how these games you always kind of like get to a point yep. and you're peaked and then you have to restart with like perks and then you get you level up yes. faster. So they had a bug where you couldn't do that. And so I, I was literally like just stuck for like five days and I'm just like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm done. And, and you and hit your limit. Yeah. And you know, I have to wonder. So with adventure capitalists, they actually have an earth earth portion of the game and then they have a moon portion of the game, which I didn't even clue into for the longest time. So here I am working on earth and I, I was playing it natively within Facebook because Facebook has all of these limited games and and I was just very frustrated with that. I'm like, Let, let's go see what the mobile version is like. And the mobile version is much more satisfying. Yes, you're being served ads. I don't mind. It's actually a nice 30-second break for me to look away from my screen. Yeah. And um, But their, their algorithm is different on the space portion of the game than it is on the earth portion of the game. And so I'm, I'm, my interest in the game is waning as a result of this weird imbalance that they have in their algorithms. And I was like, huh, you know what? That's, that's interesting. So I don't know. At the end of the day, I don't want to be on my computer playing games. I don't want to be playing PC games. I'm on my freaking PC all day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't mind it if we got some new games for our consoles because we haven't played console games in, probably two to three years. Like our consoles have just been lying there dormant. I wouldn't mind that. Cause then I'm on my couch and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not as glued to my monitor. It's uh, so right now it's, it's mobile games for me. And, you know, our games don't even play on mobile. They play on tablet because I wanted the users to have a better experience of playing our games. Yeah. It's um, yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at this, uh, this frost punk game that you mentioned player and it, I'm, I'm kind of down with it. An alternate timeline in the summer of 1886, snowstorms and frost led to failing in crops and the death of millions. And then you had to like rebuild. Blair has good taste in games. The, if you've seen any of the playthrough videos on it, it looks really cool. It's, it's like Sim City dire. Yeah. <laughs> like if you lose this Sim City, then humanity's gone, basically. Well, more than that, it's like, when your people are freezing and if they get injured, there's an option, I think, to cannibalize the sick. Oh God. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's bleak, but it's, it's challenging in that because it leads to a very tough story where you make very interesting choices. Yeah. I mean, that's, but it tells of this desperate society trying to survive. And, and I like that, that, brings a lot of there's a lot of excitement in that and challenge in that and for me i like the happy stuff like just just give me happy quirky i don't want to play some baking game i don't want to make cupcakes but i do want something that has more of a uplifting portion of it let me give you another example i mean from this war of mine do do you know about that game at all i know of it uh i i have i've had my eye on it um and because it's on ps4 so I, yeah, I, yeah, it's on mobile now. It's yes. on tablet. So I kind of I have my eye on it, and I want to at some point I want to pick it up. Uh, just it's whenever maybe it has to go on sale or something like that, or just I, I just have to be in the mood for that kind of game. But I have so I haven't played it yet, but I, but I definitely want to play it. I think they've had a free weekend recently, but it's essentially The Sims set during um, like the siege of Sarajevo. Yeah, and it's. You're trying to survive. 
and a lot of the events that happen in the game are based on narrative accounts of of what people did to survive in Sarajevo during the war. So it really honors that experience and really shows you what an urban war is like and what it is to, you know, what it does to the people of a war as we talk about rockets firing on Syria this weekend. So, um, yeah, it's just food for thought and it's fun at the same time. It's, it's a serious game with a real message. So I, I'd encourage you to try it. You know what, actually, I, I was trying to remember, I'm pretty sure it was a free PlayStation Plus game at some point. So I think I own it and I'm looking at it. It says download to your PS4. So, yeah. I, so uh, this might, this might be it. This might be, it's called, the, it's, it says this war of mine, the little ones on PS4. Is that like the same? That's an expansion. So then they added it where you have kids. Wow. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> that'd, that'd be tough at hell, as hell to play through. Oh, well, yeah. and, and, you know, I just want to toot our own horn for a minute. Um, one of the things that we were very honored by was, so the interact of uh, the IGDA, the international game developers association has a bunch of special interest groups. And one of the special interest groups is the serious games, special interest group. And they, they nominated us and we were one of three finalists throughout the entire planet of, for community leadership in serious games. And it is because of the work that we do with story stylists, the, the work that we're trying to do with Lily Bard, the Shakespeare game and, and tackling this, this conversation around PTSD and sexual violence. Mm. Um, but more so is we wanted to be able to empower people who have stories to tell and meaningful stories to tell. And so games like this war of mine and Shakespeare's landlord, we're starting to see game narrative told with deeper complex characters and they're still experiencing the things that we need to go through. And what does that mean for the player and how do we further mine the player and expose them to empathy. Sorry, I was just, I was like, just still reading more on it. So that's awesome. Um, Squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I was, I just got like engulfed and Pumpkinberry actually started following me on Twitter too. So, Oh yeah. She's, awesome. she, she is super awesome. She streams every Monday through Friday for three hours a day. I think she starts at two o'clock uh, Eastern Pacific and she's so delightful. She's, yeah. She is absolutely delightful. I think she's going to go very far in her streaming. And um, we've been meaning to get down to her. If we don't have ice storms, we're, we're going to see her Thursday next week. <laughs> we don't she's, have ice storms. She's, uh, she's in the GTA. Oh, um, for those of you who are in the GTA and are interested, we're going to be speaking at Sisters in Crime on Thursday, April the 19th. And it's five bucks for non members if you're not a member of Sisters in Crime. But we'll actually be showing. Um, the Lily Bard project, but also how do we take a novel and transform that into an interactive story? Perfect. I'll, uh, I can try to throw that up on the site too. Yes. I'm going to be pimping that out all, uh, all the next couple of days. <laughs> Perfect. Um, is there anything, uh, that we might, is there anything that you want to kind of discuss or talk about, uh, in terms of one more story games or Shakespeare's landlord or anything that we might've missed, uh, or anything for the fans or anything like that? Um, well, Go ahead, Blair. I got a question. So yeah. do you play board games, dude? Do I play board games? Yeah. Do you, do you... 
I, I want to get into board games, so no, we don't really play board games. We have uh, we have a few in the house, um, but but no, and like Settlers of Catan is probably the like the the most like. Oh, Steven, 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 Steven. <laughs> so we're uh, not we're not really into. We have like a Dragon Ball Z board game as well. That's like was really bad, and we we only kind of played it once. Um, we're not we, we don't really we're not really into board games. We try to like uh, we try to like get co-op games on on playstation yeah. like to play um oh, such as like good. overcooked and stuff like that we have about 250 board games it's um i i would say in lieu of having children or pets that's where we spend our money <laughs> yeah it is board games and for me it's it's if you want to make games you've got to play great games and there are some great social dynamics in board games that's I don't know that we've necessarily completely figured out in the electronic space. So um, I was going to say, you know, we can meet up at a snakes and lattes sometime and uh, try some stuff. I actually have this war of mine as a board game that uh, I'd love to dust off and show you if you wanted to, you know, yeah, of course have some time in Toronto, but uh, I was just curious because that's one of the ways that I think indie developers can continue to hone their skills is, is, Play board games as well, because it will challenge your design. Sometimes there are very elegant designs in board games that will help you rethink things electronically as well. And I think the dovetail on what Blair's talking about is, you know, having this great these great ideas that are already existing in in board game format. We at the end of March, at the end of February, we met up with um, the OMDC, the Ontario Media Development Corporation, had an event called From the Page to the Screen. And it's all these book publishers with great content that's already been published looking for digital media partnerships with film and television. And we were, there was one other games company, but he was doing something very different. He wasn't doing actual game creation. He, he wasn't doing content creation. So we were the only digital media content creators in the room. And 13 of the book publishers want to work with us. The reason I say that is, Indie game devs, please listen to me. There is amazing content that already exists that is great storytelling. They are literally waiting with bated breath for somebody to come along and do an amazing game adaptation of existing Canadian novels. And not only that, there is funding. There is funding through the Canada Arts Council, the Ontario Arts Council. There is money out there that will help you do pre-pro and production and possibly even marketing. So... These are all the things that I wish I knew four years ago. Um, so if that's my little seed that I plant today for somebody is there are great stories out there. So if you don't know where to start with your own, go read a great Canadian novel or short story and, and think about how you would turn that into an interactive story game, because we've been doing it for four years with other people's work and we're, it's, it's starting to pay off. Perfect. Well said. Uh, I'm just going to promote the uh, the Discord server, the Toronto Game Desk Discord server, uh, which both of you are welcome to join, and everyone else is welcome to join. There's a I got asked to be to put in like a board games uh, channel, um, so there are oh, people wow. on there who are board game fans. So you can you're welcome to join up, Blair, and and uh, talk the talk because because <laughs> I, I I am not like I've only played the popular ones. There's one at work that we've been playing. It's not a board game. It's just a card game. Uh, but it's Monopoly Deal or Monopoly Go or it's like a card game version of Monopoly, basically. Oh, that's cool. Um, and it's just meant for like you know Monopoly can take uh, like 
hours to play. It's meant to, to just be kind of like quick, like kind of 15 minute uh, uh, yeah. things, but it's, it's the same sort of style where you build up properties and you, you have rent and all that crap. So, you know, it's, it was interesting that you mentioned that. So you and your, your wife, um, you play a lot of co-op games. I personally, I think I would love to sit here and play co-op games with Blair versus play mobile games by myself. And, and that's one of the reasons why I really enjoy when we do finally have board game nights. It's, I would rather play with other people and, and have that experience than play, play on my own. Um, or competition stuff. Or, too. well, hey, competition's a healthy thing just because you lose. So, The Wii U is perfect for co-op games because, like, basically every single platformer that came out for that system had some sort of co-op. And and they're kind of continuing tradition in, in this, uh, the Switch as well, like Hyrule Warriors, Fire Emblem Warriors. Um, we have not had a not new console in the last five years. Like, we're... Uh, you got the PS3? Our, startup, uh, our startup funds have all gone to the company and a great personal. <laughs> well, and, sto- and stocking up for the snowstorm. That's right. Well, it is starting to snow again. So I, know. I can't. Uh, oh, actually, I see a lot of ice and, and snow and crap outside. So that's been yeah, great. Um, Gene, Blair, thank you so much for joining me. Um, having us steven yeah of course it was it was great uh and like i said uh earlier you can go to one more stories.com uh play all their games including a couple of, of charming game devs.com game of the sorry year. it's one awesome. more story games.com or www.story.games you got story.games i sure did oh, damn <laughs> As soon as oh, that man. sucker came out, I was on it. It was an expensive domain, but it was worth it. <laughs> that's perfect. Oh man, that's perfect. I should see if there's a game devs like a tr- like a if they end up doing like a dot game devs. Yeah. yeah. I know. I have like uh, I have CanadianGameDevs.com and CanadaGameDevs.com if it ever gets to that point, but we'll see you just got it's just like the 90s all over again you just gotta get the dot coms and but now it's like the dot games and the dot everything else um so yeah sorry so you can check out them on the on the internet you can go to twitter.com slash one more story games to follow them on twitter uh keep an eye out on shakespeare's landlord which is coming is in production and it's coming soonish we'll say uh and uh thanks again for joining me